Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Before you hear the next great podcast, we'd like to tell you about a new 90-second show which distills everything that President Donald Trump has said in the last 24 hours. You're going to lose a number of people to the flu. It's called What Has He Said Now? and is available at wherever you get this podcast. Uh, death totals, our numbers per million people are really uh, very, very strong. We're, we're very proud of the job we've done. Look for a link in this here podcast description or search for What Has He Said Now in all the usual places. Hello and welcome to Footballistically Arsenal. I'm Boyd Hilton and I'm joined by sidekick psychic Josh Landy. Hi, Josh. Boyd, we're actually able to see each other for the first time in these lockdown podcasts. You're wearing Supreme. I assumed you would be anyway, but now I have confirmation. Yeah. Thanks for turning um, off your TV. You just tried to start uh, this with your TV. I forgot to turn off my TV. If Boris Johnson is about to face, we should say this is 7 o'clock Monday evening, and Boris Johnson is about to face the press, and it's quite an exciting moment. But we're doing a podcast about Arsenal, which is much more important. Because we didn't do one last week. Apologies to our to our um, loyal listenership. We did oh, one last week, and I think that was I feel we do. Like, this no. should be a weekly, a staunch weekly podcast and due to our own laziness my laziness mainly um we didn't get good enough guests and so we did we could it could just be us two chatting away by the way maybe next time we'll do one we've never done one last two chatting away have we you, you know i remember you did one just you and alan alga last yeah, it, went, it went quite well me and alan yeah yeah it could just anyway more this week we have got good enough guests thank god for that in the shape of adrian clark Welcome, Agent. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. Yeah, well, I hope I can live up to to being a half decent guest for you. Uh, Boris can wait, can't he? Yeah, yeah, he it, it, yeah, he'll still be banging on by the time we finished, anyway. Exactly. Yeah, he, he probably will be. Yeah, he's been banging on all day and not making any sense. That's my own. I won't ask you to comment on that as a uh, as a professional <laughs> broadcaster. And um, we should say, Agent, of course, is um, the uh, for, for actual former Arsenal player. First of all, um, presenter, pundit, um, and tactics analyst, particularly for Arsenal. Um, and you've been doing, Agent. Interestingly, there's a whole obviously in 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 the in this weird viral period as I'm calling it, where, we're all, where we've been, Josh and I have been doing this podcast and we've, you know, we've tried to get interesting people to talk to them, guests, Arsenal fans to talk to them for about an hour about stuff and constantly talking about the, what's going to happen with football, which we'll get to in a minute when it comes back. 
And people have been showing a lot of old matches, haven't they, on TV. This weekend, we had the 79 Cup final on ITV at 5 o'clock on Saturday, which is quite prime time, I think. I watched it. We had the 89, they showed the 89 film on Friday night. I watched that for about the fifth time. And you are also doing retro match analyses, aren't you? And how is that going? And are you enjoying that? And is that kind of helping your period of dealing with the virus, helping you kind of do stuff? Oh, it's helping me massively. Yeah, look, it's, it's been in the pipeline for, for ages, actually. Um, myself and, and the team at Arsenal discussed doing classic breakdowns with classic matches, and we've never had the time. And, of course, now we've got all the time in the world, haven't we? Well, I haven't personally with a two- and a four-year-old, but but in, in terms of no no live football going on, we have to fill the gap, don't we? And And, and it's been a real treat, let me tell you. So, so far... I did the Liverpool game 4-2 from the Invincible season, which was incredible in terms of Henri's hat-trick and, and, and Lundberg and Perez. did the 94 Cup Winners' Cup final, which I'd been at uh, as sort of part of the extended party. I wasn't in the squad, right. uh, but we right. sort of flew over and for the day. And I went with my dad and, and, and the sort of other pros on the, on the periphery. And, and I'd never watched the game since because i watched wow. it that night it was fantastic and never see never saw it again i just remembered oh. remembered it in my own mind and then i got to watch it for for Arsenal, which was great and then um and then i recently did the the, the uh the game where will Todd scored the winner in 2002 which yeah all of them for different reasons were fascinating to watch and, and hopefully interesting to for, for the viewers to to watch in terms of the analysis uh, Adrian, just on the Copenhagen one, sure. looking back at it and remembering that midfield three that played on the night of Selly, Morrow and Davis, and Selly could what have only been a bit older than you. Yeah. Did you, that must have been a slightly aspiring that there was a potential route through, or did you just think actually there's a lot of injuries? Here? Well, it was George Graham. George, George was very defensive, wasn't he? And I was a bit of a fancy Dan winger that didn't, didn't always get back as well as I, as I, as I should have done, I guess. So, so I think I was always up against it under George. I, I played, you know, he liked me, but, but I think his caution would have precluded someone like me nine times out of 10. But Selly was a really good defensive midfielder, wasn't he? And, and he was all about breaking up play, really efficient. Yeah, he was a year older than me in, in sort of school age. Uh, he had played, hadn't he? I think he'd been involved in the 93 finals. I think he'd been on the edge of that squad. So he'd got promoted really, really early, um, which is a surprise to a lot of the lads, not because he wasn't a good player, but because um, Paul Reed and Paul Shaw were the stars of that age group. I don't know if uh, you, you remember those two names. Well, obviously I remember Paul Shaw, Paul yeah. Shaw scored home and away against Southampton. I remember. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah sure, he got into the first team. Paul Reed never did, but but they broke all sorts of records. And, and, and Selly was the kind of quiet guy. But yeah, yeah, he, he came in and he, he was reliable, absolutely reliable. And, and it was just such a shame that, that he picked up so many injuries so young because he, he could have had a fabulous career. As that he was sort a of, very, yeah. yeah, he was a very George Graham player, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he was. I mean, in, in a, like, did what, did what the boss wanted to do, very effective, yes. yeah, as you say, kind of uh, breaking things up. In the midfield and stuff, yeah. Yeah, he was nothing fancy with the distribution. But that midfield, we looked at it on paper ahead of the game. Yeah. Selly, Morrow, who hadn't been a regular. I think Selly was 19. Morrow hadn't played much that season. Uh, and Paul Davis, who was obviously a legend, but but was asked to play on the right of a three, which is sort of alien to him because he was he was so left-footed. But, yeah, it was, it was crazy. And they sort of went man-to-man. 
and they just fought like lions those three as did the whole team that night it was yeah it was it was great to watch a game from that era actually uh, in an analytical type of way it's changed football has changed a lot since 1994 is it hard when you're doing a game from that era i mean obviously statistics have changed haven't they completely because now you have statistics on everything yeah in every game every Mm. every minute detail is yeah. counted by someone in op- yeah. where it have opt or whatever but back then it wasn't like that was it you Not had the, didn't even do it i don't even remember assists being a thing back then like no, you know no, no. Um, so is it hard no yeah so is it hard for you do you have to like really watch the whole game all over again and, and do your own like statistical uh, analysis and- no well luckily luckily we struck a deal i think with opta ah. who 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 do who basically did bespoke stats for us for, for all of these wow. classic breakdowns so yeah it was a sort of part of their sort of deal with us over the season they agreed to do some i don't know if it cost anything or not on top but but yes yeah, so, so, so their team watched it as if they'd watch it live and gave right. it almost a full treatment it wasn't quite as much as what we get for a premier league game but but yeah that, which, which is why if you notice on on the breakdowns I've, I've instead of doing the normal two i've milked it i've got, I've got yes. three three or four different stat sections just to to sort of get our money's worth but but um and also because these stats didn't exist before now so it, well, it was fascinating what I loved was when you were doing that Copenhagen game and you referred to the most successful past partnership between two players as being David Seaman and Alan Smith being 17 times. I was like, wow, someone's really sat and watched this back to work that out because, yeah, that is exactly what you're saying, Boyd. You'd never have got that coming up no. on TV. No, no, it was, uh, no, it was, it was, it was route one stuff. I mean, yeah, it was, it, it was old school as, as I described in on, on the breakdown, but I loved it. I really did. And, and there's so much sort of battling qualities on the show, but I was, I was so, so pleased that my memories of, of Alan Smith playing well that night, not just scoring the, the, the goal, which was a great goal. We will we'll remember it forevermore. One of his, his best, really, I guess, in terms of, of, of quality. But but his performance as a target man was 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 unbelievable. It was yeah. he won everything in the air. He held everything up, and because Palmer was so much better than us, we needed someone up top that we could just not boom the ball to because they were sort of measured passes into him. But but they had someone to relieve the pressure. And without Smudger that night, aside from the goal. Arsenal may well have been overwhelmed. They may well have conceded three or four goals, even though the defence were fantastic, just because they'd had to absorb so much. Smudger relieved it and gave everyone a, a breather. And yeah, it was it was nice because he's such a such a nice fellow. You know, Smudger, yeah. he's, he's great. He's, he's so modest as well. So yeah, it was nice to nice to big him up. Yeah, there was also points. Sorry, sorry, boys. We were deliberately doing video that this bit yeah. wasn't going to happen, and now it's happened, boy. What I was going to say, if I might, just on and actually, you go first because you wanted to ask about Alan Smith, and I wanted to ask about something from the Man United game that Adrian did. Oh yeah, well, go on. I was just going to say about Alan Smith that um, watching the '89 film again on Friday, you're reminded of, of of just what a legend he was, and I feel that like underappreciated. Um, partly because he was so reliable and held the ball up so well, and, and like almost like was was taken for granted. I think I felt like the way as a fan, you know, watching football at that mm. time, he was just so dependable. And but that is a real skill, holding the ball up and bringing everyone else in. And he did it so, you know, seemingly effortlessly. And because you're right, he's such a nice guy. He doesn't really look like a footballer, does he? he looks <laughs> kind of 
I mean, with all due respect, like a librarian or something, you know. And, uh, and I think that's why he's not a glamorous figure, but he's, he was so dependable, so important, yeah. wasn't he? Players loved him, yeah. And he, he, was a, he was a good lad, you know, he wasn't boring. He was, he was a really good personality. Um, I think he'd join in, not, not all the time, with the, the fun and games that went on off the pitch. But, but I remember when he was in Hong Kong on that infamous postseason tour of Hong Kong and China where Ray Parler was in prison <laughs> when we came home yeah. <laughs> um, after an altercation with a, with a taxi driver in Hong Kong. But I remember one night and we, we went out, we were going to China the next day on a, on a flight and we were told, look, just have a couple of beers and then go home. And, and I, it didn't happen. Once Stuart Houston went to bed, everyone went out and I was still, I was, I was trying to be a goody goody. I probably got in about three and we were up and out at say seven and I was getting on the bus, having had a shower and everything and smudger and a few of the other boys were just coming back from the night. <laughs> so, so he, he, he had a little, he had a little bit of a, I mean, it was post season, but he had a little bit of a naughty streak as well, which kind of made me like him even more. <laughs> Oh, that's good to know. And he's a good, he's a really good pundit, and he's a good football journalist. He writes really good columns, doesn't he? So I think, yeah, it's, it's quite an inspiration def- to me, actually. Yeah. I mean, I, I love really- playing with him, but 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 the fact that he went into journalism, did his own stuff. There's none of this go. He didn't have a ghostwriter. He was he was writing his own copy. And yeah, I definitely, as I was, you know, when I was looking at post football, I looked at Smudger definitely as, as someone to sort of follow in the footsteps of. Just going on then to the game you against Man United, which was you know amazing to watch, and again you see the ferocity of the game and the tackles and everything that was going on, which you sort of miss. Oh, I thought there was an amusing moment where you almost looked hesitant to refer to Ashley Cole. You were, <laughs> you were like, and Ashley Cole, who of course did go on to play for Chelsea, was really good. <laughs> Are you sort of is that in your head because of how he's now viewed by Arsenal fans? It's going out on the Arsenal website. You have yeah. to sort of frame it. Yeah, because it well, yeah, he's not well liked, is he? As a, as, a, as a guy, I go, I guess, because of the nature of the exit and who he who he ended up playing for. So yeah, I did sort of feel I had to preface it a little bit, and just I just wanted to remind everybody how good he was when he was a gooner, and he was brilliant, wasn't he? I, I think he is the. I mean, I loved playing with Nigel Winterburn, who was who was awesome, but but I do I do think he pretty shades at Ashley Cole. I mean, he was Ashley Cole at one point might have been the world's best left back. I think he was, he was, yeah. if he wasn't the best, he was in the top two. So, and you you could, couldn't have said that about Nigel, unfortunately. So he, he was probably the best left back we've ever had at Arsenal. And in this game, he was unreal. Really. I mean, there was some stellar performances. Edu and Vieira are amazing in particular, but, but, um, but, I think he won seven of eight tackles, according to the stats. And I just showed a few of them. And as you see, he just crunched into them. And 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 that was the stat. That was one of the standout things of doing that game and the others was actually how football's changed and how how much physicality was a part of the game, and how we've lost it. And I, and I have to say, as a, in terms of watching football, I don't know how you guys feel. It. It was a more rounded spectacle and more entertaining, albeit more dangerous, when players were allowed to, to tackle with force and to even go tackle from behind at some point. I know that, that we don't like to see that or players get injured, but I think it added something to, to, to the overall watching experience. And, and it also bred... <sighs> 
a real competitiveness among the players. There, there seemed to be more aggressive footballers back then than there would be now. And, and what, almost now, what's the point in having an aggressive footballer? Because mm. you can't really tackle, can you? And yeah, watching these games back, it, it made me miss football from the 90s and the 2000s because, yeah, it, even though players would get injured, I felt that... that because football is a physical sport, I felt it was better. I don't feel there's any more. I don't feel there's any um, more. There were more injuries back back, back then. Any terrible no, ones, any breakers and stuff than there are now. In fact, it almost feels like the other way. Like you see more injuries now than back then. So yeah, you're, I agree with you, and I don't see. I mean, what, what about those United tackles, though? Yeah, that, that I was going to say. You did then point out those absolutely the Roy Keane one. On Vieira, where he's like his foot's like back to his throat, it was extraordinary. Um, so you do, yeah. I mean, those were unbelievable tackles, but they just were all dealt with, weren't they? They weren't. It, well, they, know, were they weren't all even... yellows, I, I believe. Yeah, yeah. All, all four of those were yellow card offences, but I, I think at least three of them these days would have been reds. And oh, yeah, United would have been down to eight. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. and, and, I, and I said it during the break. And I, I did, really did admire the way Arsenal didn't lose their heads. They complained and they berated the officials, but they they sort of channeled their anger in, in a really calm and measured way when in terms of they used it in a, I guess they used that frustration, that, that, that annoyance. It made them even more focused to win. And, mm. and that is how you should... Uh, that's the sort of mindset that you should adopt, I guess. Uh, too often we see we see individuals or players just lose their call and boom, they're down to 10 men, aren't they? And, and, and the momentum's gone. Adrian, I just wanted to come in because, as I think I mentioned, I sent you a little email before with notes. I've yeah. been going back watching a few of the old season mm. reviews during, during this period. I haven't got quite as far as I hoped, but I got through that period of, of seeing your, your role into the team. And I think you've probably spoken as well about how, you know, Bruce Riott maybe showed more faith in you than maybe George, George Graham had. I just wanted just to touch on it for a minute. Having watched yeah. that one season, 95, 96, you know, had Bruce Riot stayed on, do you think you'd have stayed on at Arsenal and, and had more opportunities, or did you see potentially an exit coming regardless? Uh, uh, it's it's hard to tell. I, I think that um, I was always always felt I was well thought of there under George Graham and all the backroom staff, and you know, but it was hard to get an opportunity under George Graham because. He was defensive coach. The football was attritional, wasn't it? It wasn't all about the skill, although he had some really skillful wingers during his time there. Anders Limpa obviously was it was a standout one. Um, but yeah, Bruce was was uh, I suppose more of a risk taker. He wanted to play slightly more expansively. Um, he couldn't tolerate certain characteristics, I think, and some of the senior guys rubbed him up the wrong way or they, they displeased him. And that opened the door for, for keen, eager youngsters like myself, I think, to have an opportunity. And, and I, look, I look back and I think I played pretty well in, in most of the games that I was involved in. I didn't have blind, just didn't obviously do well enough to stay in the team long term. But, but I, play, I played pretty well. I probably should have scored a couple of goals. Um, that might have made a difference. Um, but no, what happened was it got to the business end of the season and Bruce Rio changed tact. He went with he went with wing backs for I think it was a League Cup semi final against Villa and it worked. And 
wing backs didn't suit me. I was, I, I would have had to have played a, in a different role. And I don't know whether they saw me as that, that player. So, so yeah, so I was sort of frozen out on the basis of a, of a system change to, at the end of that season. And then of course he left. And what happened was Wenger came in, picked, picked up the first team squads that was left behind. And I was in the reserves at the point where Rioc had left. And, and that's kind of where I stayed, really. And, and, and yeah, it was, it was really frustrating. I, I wish I'd had more chance to impress Arsene Wenger. That's for sure. I really do. Because I, I think he would have liked a lot of aspects of my, my game. But ultimately, and, and I say this with brutal honesty, I wasn't quite good enough, uh, in hindsight, to, to be a winger in his team. I look, You look at Parler on one side, it was so powerful. And you had... Uh, Overmars, who he brought in effectively instead of me, and uh, he was just the, one of the best on the planet at that point. I, I couldn't live with them in terms of speed or power, and that '98 team was all about that. I think I think it was all about power and pace, and I, I just didn't, I just didn't fit in. And 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 the, if truth be told, the quality of player that came in, your Vieiras, your Anelkos, Petit, Overmars. It was. It would have been extraordinarily hard for for, for for so many players, not just me, to get a look in. So yeah, it was, it was time to move on. Arsenal were going places, and I, I just hadn't quite done enough to to prove prove I was worth staying. So no, I don't think I, I don't think I would have stayed in the long term. But I wish I played under Wenger because yeah. Uh, Yeah, maybe in a different position. Maybe I could have been a number 10 guy or played inside. But but yeah, it wasn't to be. That's interesting, isn't it? That that a a, a formation change Mm. kind of has such a huge effect on a player's career. But I lost confidence. Yeah, yeah, but I lost confidence off the back of it as well because I was buzzing. I was was living the dream. I was playing week, you know, in the squad every week, really. On the bench, sometimes I played, sometimes I started, you know. And suddenly I was gone. And I was not only gone, I was in the reserves playing out of position in, in a position that I really felt uncomfortable in um, as a left wing back. I, wow. I was a bag of nerves because I, I was used to having players behind me to, 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 to help me defend. And, and all of a sudden mm. I was on my own and, and it just didn't suit me. And I, I should really have stuck my hand up and said, look, this isn't for me. I need to play at number 10 or up front or in central midfield. Um, but I didn't. And, and my form sort of dipped and, and uh, as my confidence waned. And, and yeah, Wenger came in, kept the same system for that first season, mm. uh, 96, 97. And yeah, I didn't stand a chance. Yeah. Because it seemed just, if I remember rightly, watching that season back, you came into the team around Christmas or December and were part of that team really for sort of six weeks. But that coincided with Arsenal not being in a great period of form. And that probably is what you're saying led to that change. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, we didn't win that many games that I was involved in. My full debut was fantastic. We beat QPR 3-0. Absolute joy. But yeah, it was a sort of rocky period for, for the team. We had a few players out injured. I don't think Dennis was available for all the games. Um, but yeah, it was it, like, it was all right. It was, a, it, was, it was enjoyable for me because it was so exciting. And I was it was a pleasure to be a part of. And I had some really sort of good moments but also also hard moments where 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 you know you make a mistake and and you know you got 38,000 people sort of moaning and groaning something you have to sort of deal with um as a young player but yeah look, I I got to play for Arsenal it was amazing it was a, it was a tough journey to get there um 
one or two regrets in terms of wish I'd grabbed the opportunity by scoring and uh, making some goals. And, and I think that would have made a difference. Um, there was a 25 yard, or I don't know if it was on the review that you saw against Everton that was, I mean, it was, I think it got saved in a month from, from Neville Southall in, in Everton's goal. That goes I think in. It was on. Yeah, that goes in. And, and, and that pretty gives me 10 more games because wow. you just score from 25 yards. Managers then start to think, well, I'll keep him on. I'll keep him involved because he's, he's capable of producing that. But of course it's saved and then it gets forgotten. And for four, four weeks later, you're out of the team. So it's a little crossroads moments, but, but yeah, ultimately probably wasn't good enough. And, and I do look back and, and think I should have, I should have done extra. It wasn't really the culture. And I, it kind of it didn't upset me, but but when I read about what happened at Manchester United, because they were all my age, the class of '92 with the Beckhams and Nevilles and 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 Barton, you know, I knew these guys. When I found out about how they'd sort of been mentored by Fergie and how how hard they'd worked behind the scenes, extra training, extra training, afternoons, afternoons, it just made me wish, why didn't I do that? It wasn't, unfortunately, it wasn't the culture at Arsenal. Everyone went home at the end of training. It was like, we're done. Let's, let's have some food. Let, let's get out of here. And, and, and I got swept up in that. And, and I, yeah, I do look back and think I could have done a bit more. But, yeah, I, I think a lot of, lot of us probably could have done at that point. That's interesting because um, I saw an interview with Arteta did that interview with Ian Wright recently um, on the Adidas uh, website and the Arsenal website, and I think he said something like, "And not many. I, di- I didn't see many people pick up on it." But he said when he arrived, you know, as manager um, at Arsenal, he felt like there was just a there wasn't there was a slight attitude problem. They weren't really doing working hard, and they weren't kind of doing the extra, as you say, doing that little bit extra yeah. under the previous manager. Yeah. And he was surprised by that. That was yeah. interesting. Well, you build things, and when right. good teams are being constructed and built, and players feel like they're buying into something that they can belong to. I think people push each other and that's when the, the positive culture starts. It's like, come on, us four, let's go and do a bit now. And and you see it with all the successful teams. It happened that 2002 team will have done that. You could, you could mm. tell by the performance. I think bad habits can, can become regular habits, can't they? And, and I think Arsenal's players, I don't know, cause I don't spend any time really at the training ground, but, but it looked from the outside that they'd become, not a team of individuals, but there was an individual culture. Yeah. There wasn't there wasn't that togetherness that you need to foster. Whether that was, you know, Unai Emery's fault or or the personality traits of the individuals, I don't know. But but yeah, uh, hopefully Arteta. Well, it sounds like he's picked up on it, and uh, yeah, that's that's very encouraging because the same group of players, if they have that individual mindset, you put them in a in an environment where you're a band of brothers. The same players with the same ability will always achieve more. If you want an e-bike that doesn't look like it's made for the shopping precinct, something that's less Mr Bean and more Steve McQueen, Check out the range of bikes from London-based Cooler King. From dope 250-watt city bikes to Harley Bobber-inspired 750-watt beasts that can tear your face off while leaving your smile intact. 
Cooler Kings are made in limited numbers, yet highly affordable. Check them out now on the web at cooler.bike or find them on Instagram with hashtag CoolerKingBike. Cooler.bike. E-bikes that are cool AF. Talking about um, players and um, the way they behave and the way they work together, if you were a player now and you're faced with a situation where, you know, you don't know what's going to happen with football in the future, <laughs> it's such a weird moment of, uh. of doubt that no professional footballer must surely have ever been in this position before. They don't, literally don't know what's going to happen to their game in the next few months, let alone the next few weeks, few months. And then if you, if, if, the Premier League decides they're going to come back on the 6th of June or whatever, and the virus is still around. What, how would you feel? Would you feel, would you be scared? Could you, can you, you know, what's your feeling about it? You know, can you, do you think, oh yeah, no, we're going to go straight in, we're going to go back to playing football, or be it behind closed doors, it'll be fine. How would you feel about that? Whole thing? I, well, I think that every player is different. They'll all feel different emotions. I probably would be one of the gullible ones that just gets sucked in and thinks, yeah, if they tell me it's safe, I believe them, and let's 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 roll with it because I just want to crack on and 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 play football and and do my job because this is doing my head in. That's probably how I'd look at it. But 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 it depends on your scenario, doesn't it? If you've got a family member that's uh, got got a, a health problem, uh, underlying you know issue, then it makes the prospect of catching COVID nineteen that bit scarier, doesn't it? And bringing it home. So so there'll be there'll be players out there that, that are scared, definitely. Definitely. But, but overall, I think that they'll be talked round. Um, but they have to, the problem at the moment is, and if I was a player right now, I'd be a bit angry is that I feel the players are being left out of the conversation. And, and it's almost as if well, they'll, they'll, they'll play, they'll be fine. Mm. They'll do what they're told because we pay them thousands of pounds a week and they'll just have to lump it. And I think that, that there's a real resentment there at the moment among, among pros. So it could be an uprising. But but I would imagine that they'll be sweet talked into it and, and and let's be fair, when these games do start, and hopefully they will, the grounds will be the safest place to be and they will be tested thoroughly and and I would imagine life in general, uh, the three of us here, everyone, we're going to have to get on with some kind of normal life and yeah. it's all going to be about calculated risks, isn't it? It's, it yeah. And 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 I think playing football is going to count as a calculated risk and and that's the message i think that will be mm. sold I agree, to them. Yeah. they'll get on they'll, I agree. they'll get on with it yeah yeah i agree and i think i think interestingly in the last since this whole since we've been in this opposition and it's been and and the whole project restart thing has been mm. slowly and with big meetings today we'll talk about that in a minute but yeah. there's been a slight I've, I've been slightly annoyed but there's been a, there's been like a big like moralistic wave among some fans and pundits you know like i won't even know something that those of us who kind of want football to come back and like honestly go look i really miss it i really want to see them somehow work out a way of bringing football back yeah. albeit obviously behind closed doors um and they're going oh you know how dare you talk about football and it's just, you're just you know it's the premier league's just trying to make money and all the clubs are trying to make money when people are dying every day but as far as i'm concerned it's like life's not like that you don't kind of go oh because this terrible thing's happening then mm. we can't possibly think about bringing this sh-. and it's a hugely important industry it's like any industry isn't it it's huge. it employs hundreds of thousands of people mm. people's livelihoods are at stake and i'm not i'm not a lot at the top end i'm talking about the middle and you know mm. lower rungs of employment if you like and mm. it, it's ridiculous not to try and bring this huge thing back 
albeit try and be safe about it. And yeah, it's, I just, yeah. It's very easy, isn't it? You, you can you can you can earn a stand innovation for 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 the moral crusade and say, how can you think about playing football? And you know, it's 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 vulgar to even think about it. But the truth is, well, we hope that the this little break the infection rate is going to gradually go down and, and the landscape will change and you can't then just go bang okay let's it's all right to play football now you have to plan you have to talk about these things and and that's why we're doing it now and it's also worth billions of pounds and that and that definitely matters but, but i also get the fact that it will lift people it will give Everyone's saying to talk about. <laughs> Give me a bit of work. <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> as a, as yes. a freelancer at the moment working in football, it's not great. It's not exactly a great time. Um, so we give give you know give, give those of us that work in the industry uh, uh, something to get stuck into. But no, it's we. I, I think it's been handled a bit shabbily at times. I think the communication's been a bit bit off. I don't really like the way leaks have come out. Um, no one's taken ownership of the situation, have they? Clubs have been very, very coy. I mean, you, you, you're barely getting an opinion out of anyone at a football club at the moment. And I think that's because there's so many unknowns. No one wants to put their foot in it and say something they, they regret down the line. So I just hope that, that clubs can put their self-interest aside and agree on, on a way to, to, to restart Personally, maybe we'll get to it in a, in a minute. Personally, I hate the idea of neutral venues. I, do, I, don't, yeah. I don't get it. Um, German in Germany, they trust their own fans not to turn up, and they trust the clubs. And this is where I think each club has a role to play. They trust the club that's staging the game. So let, you know, Arsenal will have to uh, entertain who Liverpool at some point. They 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 would tr- you know Arsenal at that point will. We'll send messages, you know, they'll do a campaign around not turning up to the game. You know, they'll stress the importance of it. And there'll be a cordon around the Emirates of, you know, OK, probably not police, but but they'll get some stewards there where, where you can just cordon off the stadium just to make sure it's all OK. I think I think it's totally doable. And uh, the, the neutral venue thing just creates such a mess and so much uh, legal wrangling, potentially. I don't mm. think it's worth it. I didn't get the the, the, the um, neutral venue thing from the start. I don't know about you, Josh. But I, I I didn't even understand like why what the reason for it. I thought it was like some kind of safety technical reason that you know if you kept them all in a certain small number of venues or something. But then it turned out you're right. It's all about them not trusting supporters to turn up yeah. during a game behind closed doors and do what? Stand outside the stadium drinking and I don't. I mean, I don't, who would do that? I don't even like. I know some football fans can be morons, but. Yeah. In, uh, in any walk of life, groups of people can be. But why? I just don't see hundreds of fans turning up outside of behind this, a, a closed match. It seems ridiculous. Josh. I agree with your, your wider point, but let's say Arsenal, I mean, this is really dream world, but say we were in Liverpool's position and Arsenal were on the verge of a title. Do you really think there wouldn't be Arsenal fans heading around the stadium, up Holloway Road, all around the stadium? Because that's what the Liverpool mayor ultimately came out and said and said, look, we don't, you know, Ian Ferdinand didn't want the games at Anfield because of, of that fear. Mm. You know, you've got a club who haven't won the title in 30 years and mm. we'll, we'll do it at some point. And if that game takes place at Anfield, there's going to be people who, you know, will argue, oh, I was standing two metres away from the next fan, from the next fan, mm. the next fan. And suddenly you're going to have thousands of people trying to line the road 
roads in some way. And I don't think that is manageable. So I think that's where that came from. But I agree with what Adrian was saying. Once you have a competition that is no longer the same competition, mm. and you don't have to be a statistician and the brightest spark at Opta to go, mm. well, on average, how many points do clubs get at home and how many club points do the clubs get away? There is clearly, for whatever reason, a home advantage. And Adrian's better place to talk about well, that. Even club. without a crowd, because but, but I've heard this argued, that, oh, yeah, but you lose home advantage when because you lose the roar of your own fans. No, I'm telling you now, it's, it's more... Um, an environment thing. It's you're used to that pitch and you're used to pictures in your mind on that pitch. When you go away from home where you might visit that place once in 12 months, everything's a little bit alien. It doesn't make that much difference, but it's it's the small margin. So I I still firmly believe that that home advantage will, will, when it happens, and if they are played at home grounds, I think more teams will win at home than they would away still. Um, mm. But yeah, so ho- hopefully it does sound that this meeting today, there, there was widespread objection to that. So fingers crossed they can go back to the government, go back to the police and persuade them, look, football doesn't want this. Is there a way around it? So fingers crossed on that. Yeah, it does sound yeah. like the the guidance from the clubs is if we are going to finish this, we'd like to finish it in the way that you know, Germany are. Mm. I don't know if you saw, Boyd, I know you've been busy watching all sorts of Arsenal programming, but on the BBC website, I think it was Sunday morning, they were showing yeah. a, a live stream of a South Korean game, mm. now the South Korea, yeah. and they were pumping songs into the stadium to create some kind of atmosphere. Yeah. I mean, they'll, they'll be... Critics who will argue doing that might not be uh, too far away from how it can be at the Emirates on a on a quiet <laughs> afternoon. What do you think about that? Do you think Adrian that that's what what they might do? You know, uh, one nil Arsenal go ahead and we start hearing like one nil to the Arsenal around. Uh, the well, uh, I don't think it's the most bizarre thing I've heard. I mean, it's better than having half hour halves, isn't it? To, to yeah. two thirty minutes. I mean, what's that all about? Goodness me! I think that was just Gordon Taylor, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. Anyone else even mentioned it? it? Yeah, it was total madness. Um, uh, piping, crowd noise in. Uh, personally, I'd probably prefer it. I, the issue as well: players swear. Players right. swear a lot, and yeah. and if you're broadcasting these games, you don't want the commentators every every couple of minutes apologising for players swearing. So it might help to to actually have some kind of background hum or noise or, or, and whatnot. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's an opportunity to be creative. I've seen Munch and Gladbach have got, have got fans to buy cardboard cutout of themselves, mm. haven't they? Which yeah. I think is a great idea. And they managed going to charity and whatnot and. And and it will just look better than empty seats, in my opinion. So, um, yeah, what, let, let, I think it's going to be a bit soulless. And that, actually, I'm a bit worried that people will be turned off of football behind closed doors eventually. Initially, it'll be exciting. And then people will think... Ah, it's not for me. And then we might actually lose people in terms of their their passion for the game. They might think, well, actually, football football without supporters isn't, isn't that great. The plus side of that is when fans are allowed back in, they will be appreciated, I hope, like yeah. never before. And I hope that ticket prices will be um, lowered once fans are allowed back in. And I really hope that the broadcasters and clubs alike will start putting the fans a bit higher up on their list of priorities because they're going to realize very quickly how important supporters are. 
I just remember when they were redoing the North Bank, there was that mural, wasn't there? Yeah, played. Yeah. 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 Where where is it, Adrian? Who's still got it? Maybe we can uh, get it back up and get it behind <laughs> behind one of the goals. Well, there was rumour then that, that there was there was a bit of uh, fan music piped in um, or fan chanting piped into that corner. I don't know if that was right, Boyd. Um, but yeah, yeah, was, I remember that rumour. Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, it was weird. <clears throat> I think I played a few youth games. So I was quite young at the time, but yeah, it was. Um, it was odd, but it was better than kicking the ball into a building site, wasn't it? A bit of creativity. I quite, I quite yeah, like it. Yeah. <laughs> just, I remember, just, I remember go on. Sorry, no, I was going to say just a question obviously about, you know, Adrian touched upon there being a freelancer in this football world. Are you, are you starting to think, Adrian, about being asked to go back and do co-coms or be in a football stadium environment and sit two metres away from the lead commentator? Have you had any of those discussions or thoughts about that or concerns or are you just no. hoping to get back to it? Yeah, no, I haven't had conversations. Um but look, when it happens, I, th- I think I'll be comfortable enough to do it. Yeah, I trust that that everyone will be spaced out, and and yeah, it's, it doesn't it doesn't worry me. But although although maybe it will at the time, maybe maybe it will. It depends what's going on in the world at, at that time. I, I I did do a bit of work down at Talksport when the lockdown came in and I live in the Midlands now, I live in sort of in the sticks in a village. You feel very safe here. Really. It's kind of not exactly a hotbed of, of a virus and, and, and yeah, you're in your bubble and it's all fine. But then having to go down to London, I must admit, I felt a bit nervous and, and, you know, I was sanitizing my hands every few minutes and it was, yeah, it was, it was uncomfortable and, and I'm glad I'm not down, down there at the moment working. I'm having to do, do work from home, but, but yeah, hopefully by the time football comes back, the world will look a little bit better and we'll all be more at ease. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Fingers I th- crossed. Yeah. <laughs> I think I live in the most viral um, um, place in the country. Oh no. Yeah, because I'm in Southwark, in, and I think I'm yeah, pretty sure yeah. we have the highest rate of. Um, yeah, well, that's near Talks Corona, Corona, isn't it? Yeah, London Bridge. Yeah, it's near Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but don't come anywhere near me. I'm just going to be fascinated, but because I, I did watch, funny enough, a bit of that Korean game, and. Um, and everything, and it, it was still all the things you worry about, like they're not going to want to come within, you know, <laughs> two meters of each other, and all that, and mm. you know, the it was definitely it was definitely worth watching. Like mm. you know, I, I definitely felt if this was a Premier League game, let alone one, I'd love to watch it. And, mm. and as you say, even though the fan element is obviously huge, it's not the same; it's different. But it's still, like, I still can't wait for that first. Yeah. Premier League game to come back to be able to watch it on TV. I hope there's um, a bit of ingenuity as well, Boyd, in terms of the coverage. Yeah. There's talk about dressing rooms and cameras and and whatnot. You know, maybe maybe that would be that would be good. I, I don't know if the managers would be delighted with that. But yeah, the, the, I just if they if they jazz it up, I think in terms yeah. of their coverage, it will make a difference. And, and yeah, I think they have to because because the whole experience will will look so different you know i've played in front of empty stadiums so many times like with reserve <laughs> games and youth games down down the years you know you get used to it but a lot of these guys have not not experienced it for for years you know senior guys that have been at the top of the game for for, for ages it'll be a bit of a shock to the system and i'll tell you what it wouldn't surprise me if the form of certain individuals is impacted by empty mm-hmm. stadiums uh, some players will be able to block it out and they'll be fine others i think I'm not saying they're going to go to pieces, but we might see some some quite iffy displays um, by players just weirded out by by the surroundings. Uh, so, yeah. do you think the 
Do you think the managers, though, will find it easier to communicate? Because I always yeah. think when I see managers, like, I mean, um, Emery used to spend the whole game <laughs> trying to tell the players what to do. Like, literally, like, you go there, you go there. And I was like, how can they possibly pay attention to it? Uh, just, um, and yeah. now with Arteta being such, and he, he, he kind of often, doesn't he, he kind of grabs, I remember him grabbing Saka quite a lot as mm. a young you know, wide player kind of literally telling telling him what to do quite a lot. Surely yeah. it's easy to communicate if there isn't a huge crowd noise. Is what I'm saying. It might be quite yeah, totally, yeah. And 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 yeah. As a former winger, I used to get it in the neck all the time. I was, I was the one that had to pass on messages, or I was the only one there would shout out because you were the only one that could hear. So yeah, maybe other players we had to hear hear the managers this time round. I mean. Did the Korean managers have to wear masks? Did, did I see that? Did they wear masks? Yeah, I think they, they were. They? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm not sure if they had to. I think it's just, it's just, yeah. it's such a part of Korean culture. Anyway, uh, okay. yeah. I think they're all wearing masks, going about their work business anyway, whatever they do. Yeah. I think, I think it, the whole thing about celebrating as well. I don't know if you saw that report where I mean, I can get the spitting would be yeah. banned. You know, let's not spit at each other. The celebrations was weird because they did hold back. Yeah, they didn't. Yeah, I mean, they didn't. having group celebrations. Come on, if you're going to have football, normal football, then you're going to have grappling at set plays at corners. Let the lads celebrate. I mean, yeah. they'll use common sense. I don't think there'll be the usual bundles, but but I think you can allow them to 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 celebrate in a relatively normal way. That you can you can go over the top. And remember, at training, they're going to have to. You can't go into a match self isolating mm-hmm. in training. There will have to be a point where it's like normal, and yeah, yeah otherwise you know it'd just be too alien. So, and and that's where players are just going to have to trust that the testing is fine and that, that that they are going to be safer than, you know, or as safe as anyone else. Just to get your longer-term outlook here, Adrian, do you believe the Premier League season will will be finished? I can't help but think, maybe I'm being cynical, but if you're one of those bottom six, and it is really difficult at the moment because the bottom six, if they put out a statement, everyone's going, oh, you're only saying that because you might go down and everyone's got their self-interest. But if you are one of those bottom six and you are in danger of going down, you've got every reason to want a player of your squad or a couple of players in your squad to contract a virus that then means you can go, well, we, we can't possibly play this game. Mm. Well, there be there could be yeah. Look, I'd, I'd like to think no one will, will will switch a hamstring injury to a key player for for a positive test. It, but but look, yeah, it, it's not beyond the realms of possibility, is it? That oh, we can't play this game because we've got we've got a positive test. But I don't think that will happen. I think there are two two scenarios that could see the season stops. I think if it is stopped, they'll go points per game and it'll be tough and they'll still have relegation. I don't want to have weighted points per game because every team's different at the home and away. Like some teams are stronger at home. I, I just think the fairest way is just points per game. Um, two scenarios. One is that um, there's a vote. The Premier League put forward, this is the proposal and it, and the alternative is we stop the season here and now, and that vote doesn't go the right way. Um, and therefore they have to do a points per game just, just to wrap it up. Or if we agree to kickstart it and there's a sudden outbreak and, and players are going down with the illness left, right and center, then I think it would be stopped. And then I think we yeah. have to do points per game. So, so look, even when we do start and hopefully we'll start mid June, I don't think any of us can relax and assume it's going to finish. 
because there could be a flare-up. And, and if there's a flare-up, they'll stop it. They have to because public opinion, yeah, the PR own goal of carrying on, it just it wouldn't be right. So, so yeah, I, yeah, it's 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 a lottery, I think, really. Yeah, it's on a knife edge, isn't it? Mm. What's going to happen? Mm. But but that, that that bomb sixty you're talking about, Josh. That's really that was really all about the the the, uh, the neutral venue thing, wasn't it as well? So, and if and now, they seem to be saying today, like the the head of the FA, I think said, or that actually all the Premier League clubs don't want to play neutral. They want to play home and away. They don't want to play neutral venues. So that maybe that whole issue is going to go away, disappear. I don't know. But there was those comments, I think, from Dean Smith, the Aston Villa manager, was it last week, speaking about, you know, one of his members of his squad having, uh, I think, a mother-in-law living with them who they're caring for. I mean, how do you tell that player that he's got to come into work and face the risk of that? We've seen Brighton announce an unnamed player Mm. get the virus, like, now, when we're Mm. supposedly, you know, way over the peak of this virus. I don't know. It just Mm. seems... Uh, you know, is it convenient? It's the Aston Villa manager. It's very harsh to say that. Brighton, who have been very vocal on going, if we're doing this, you know, they've been one of the few clubs that have actually had someone speaking on their behalf really eloquently and saying, mm. this is what we believe. But a player that's uncomfortable, I think because they'll be quite rare in terms of that situation, I think it would just, they'll make themselves unavailable as if it's, you know, yeah. as if they're ill or unwell or, or, you know, a family bereavement, you know, there are reasons why players miss games and that might be the case with certain individuals. There's also the contract thing to, to clear up. I know that, that this meeting today, it was agreed that the contracts will be the end on June the 30th will be amended. So that they end at, at the end of this season. Now the players, have to have a say in this and not every player will agree to that i'm telling you now because every player has their own story and for every guy that's loving life that that thinks their club is, is brilliant um there's another one that feels like they've been mistreated or stitched up and you really think that they want to do you know put them put themselves at risk in terms of getting injury knowing that they'll be leaving the club at the end of the season there'll be players that say no nah, not for me and and I get so that that will warp it and, and uh, but I just think it's imperfect we have to deal with it right i mean i don't think we can stop the season on the basis that a few out of contract players don't want to make themselves available i think we just have to take take that on the chin um yeah, it'd be fascinating to see how the players do respond who are out of contract. Yeah. Just uh, Roy, just one, one question, I guess, about Arsenal that seems to be in the news today was about Dan, Danny Ceballos, Adrian, mm-hmm. about there seemingly not being the appetite to turn this into a permanent transfer or see this go to next year, but there is a hope that he stays with the club through to the end of the season. Do you think that's, uh, from what you've seen of him this season, a shame that he won't be staying with the club as it, as it seems? If I was the manager, I would be doing exactly the same thing. Yeah, I would love him to stay for the rest of the season because he was coming into some good form, actually. I thought he was playing some of his best stuff outside of his debut, which is brilliant. Mm. Against, but was it his debut? I can't remember if it was his debut, but one of his first games against Burnley. Yeah. It was just superb, wasn't he? It was sublime. Yeah, it was fantastic. Yeah. Never replicated yeah. that, unfortunately. No. Um, uh, was coming into some good form, but hand on heart... I don't think he's done enough to earn 
a, a permanent deal or, or certainly to justify Arsenal spending a lot of money on him this summer. And my reasoning is not because he's not talented, because he, he clearly is. I think it's a style thing and he's not got great legs. And that sounds like maybe a really basic thing to say. He's not got a great engine, quite slow. And on the ball, that's not such a big deal. But in the position he plays, under Arteta, is one of two central midfielders. They've both got to be athletic, especially the way Arteta plays the game. They've, when play breaks down, they've got to be able to, to, to sprint back into position. And unfortunately, when, when we lose the ball, he's treading water a lot of the time. And there's a, there is a hole. He, he works hard and he eventually gets there and he's done some great defensive work. But the way Arteta wants to play football, high intensity, really aggressive. I don't think he's the central midfielder for him at 10, maybe, but, but he hasn't used him there. So he obviously doesn't see him as, as that kind of player. I don't know what you think. I don't know if you agree or not, but yeah, that, that that's the way I see it. Yeah. Also, because if it's going to play Ozil, you know, who also isn't very fast, but in, in, in the number 10 where you can't have both two players, kind of creative players, I guess, who are both quite slow and, you know, not well, Urza's quick, quicker across the ground than than right. Ceballos. He's just got sort of longer legs, and I think he's quite great, a graceful runner. Ceballos is just really good on the ball, isn't he? He's like Santi Cazorla. Yeah. Santi Cazorla yeah. wasn't wasn't rapid, but but it kind of worked. I, I don't I don't think it. Maybe it's because he's alongside Xhaka, who's also not not super quick, right. particularly right. on the turn. Yeah. I just feel that that we need athletes in there. And, and I mean, that's why I've been linked with the, the Atletico player, uh, Thomas Partey. Um, what, what Arteta wants is an athlete that's also got the technique of Ceballos and, yeah. and, and, and probably a bit more Ramsey about them. Someone who can get in the box. I've, I've been slightly disappointed with Ceballos in that regard. I thought he scored more goals and, and he, he holds back. I want to, if you've got, if you're playing next to Xhaka, I want I want to see you five six times a game, maybe five six yeah. times a half, getting in the box, and, and he doesn't do that. No, fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. Um, we we're, we've nearly run out of time, haven't we, Josh? It's been uh, a joy having you on, Adrian. Um, it's been good. Thank you very much, Josh. Any last minute um, uh, things you want to mention before we go? No, not not particularly, boys. Have you got any uh, any great TV tips for us? Because people also come to you for that. Anything yeah. we should be watching during lockdown? Take a shout. Um, yeah, well, you, you know, first of all, you know that um, ITV4, I think, is showing all of the Euro 96 matches. Which is Starting tonight, I think. Starting tonight. Yeah, there's one on right now. Yeah, England's matches on now. Um, which I think is, I, I mean, I, I know a lot of people get faintly, faintly bored about these these classic matches, but I, I, you know, I still do find some enjoyment. So that's quite just, I find the punditry as interesting as the actual match. So when they showed the 79 Cup final, which I remember very clearly watching as a kid, mm. I was 12, just listening to Brian Clough as a pundit on that match was, <laughs> was as fascinating as actually the match itself. Because he's such a funny character. And just seeing what people say. So that's interesting. Um, Non-football-based stuff on TV. Um, uh, there's loads of stuff. 
Um, Gangs of London is what everyone should watch. That's incredible. Uh, I've, I've, I've series linked it, boy. Ah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. It's fantastic. It's phenomenal, yeah. And I think probably um, if you can take the ultra-violence, it ah. is one of the most violent things I've ever seen. Ah. Then, then it's still, no, you don't like well, the I can. I can. Oh, I, I, oh, it doesn't, yeah. doesn't bother me, but but Mrs. Clark oh, is not a big fan uh, of the, the violent stuff. So uh, I'll okay. have to find, t- yeah, I'll have to watch that solo then. You'll have yeah. to do it in your own time, yeah. It is, it is honestly, the, the most, the, it's the goriest thing I've ever seen on television so mrs clark will have to i think yeah have to find her own entertainment so to speak um thanks so much for being on adrian and thanks josh and i guess we'll be back this time next week won't we absolutely no appreciate it guys thank you thanks so much adrian bye wasn't that a great podcast now if you've got 90 seconds spare in your day come and listen to ours it's called what has he said now and is available wherever you got this podcast. You're going to lose a number of people to the flu. This is a Playback Media production. To listen to all our football podcasts, visit playbackmedia.co.uk. Sports Social Podcast Network.